Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with our co-hosts, Caroline Diorti Edwards and Maria Wickvilla. Maria, of course, is the founder of Applicant Lab and a Harvard MBA. And Caroline is the former admissions director of NCOT, an alum of the school, and the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions. So two things for this week that we want to discuss. We had predicted that this past admission season would likely be the most competitive ever. And when we think about competitiveness, what we really think about are uh, the basic stats, GPAs, GMATs, and selectivity, the acceptance rate based on the number of applications received versus admits and, uh, and the seats available in a given class. It turns out to have been much more mixed. So we want to put that into perspective. And we want to make a prediction about this coming admissions season and whether or not it will be as competitive as, as this last one has been or, or less so. The other thing we want to tackle is law school versus business school. For the first time in many years, Harvard Law School drew more applicants than Harvard Business School. The admit rate is lower than it is at the business school. And the that's a total reversal of what it had been more telling perhaps is that the law school received 17.8 applicants for every classroom seat this past year while harvard had 10.7 candidates for its seats but let's turn first to this past admission season and and caroline we do you think it was more competitive than the previous season but still fall short of being the most competitive season ever yeah, I don't think it was the deluge of applications that we thought it might be, but it, it was an incredibly competitive season. It, it, it's very difficult to know, right, because there were so many variables last year that were, that were you know, creating changes in the applicant pool, you know, challenges for international applicants, thinking about, you know, potentially studying in the US or in other countries that, uh, that sort of put a damper on things, challenges taking the tests, the test centers be closed and then the online test and some people weren't very happy with the online version of GMAT. So there were a lot of different things going on. And it's difficult to dissect, you know, exactly how that impacted the applicant pool at different schools. But I do think that in general, more people threw their hat into the ring than might have otherwise done had we not had the pandemic and, the, you know, the various <laughs> changes that threw True. things into turmoil last year. So, so I do think it was a very competitive season, but, you know, very challenging for the schools because some people were applying in a rather speculative manner. So, you know, not necessarily some, some of that additional volume would not have been of the highest quality. And then some of those applicants would not have been the most committed applicants either. So very difficult for the schools to manage their yield. In, in the context of so much volatility. So, you know, certainly a very interesting season, but, and, you know, the, the job market bounced back faster than we expected, right? So when there's a strong job market, typically uh, business school applications can, uh, volume can be a bit depressed because people are getting great job offers and they're getting promotions and they don't feel the need to go back to business school straight away. And so I think that strengthening of the job market more rapidly than you would normally see after an economic downturn meant that, you know, there wasn't such a dramatic increase in application volume 
after all, which in many ways, actually, I think is a good thing, because the problem is, if you have a huge surge in application volume, it can sometimes be followed by a big dip, right? Because people who might have otherwise applied, you know, in 12 months time or in two years, suddenly everyone applies at once. And then that can mean that it's drying up your pipeline for future cycles. And so it's not always a, a good thing that there's a big surge in application volume at one time. And Maria, what was your take on this past admission season? Of course, we're, we're still waiting for some schools to report. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was, like Caroline said, <laughs> there were so many variables and so many unprecedented variables that, you know, I, I think last year was was very competitive. I think this year is also going to be a difficult to predict year because I think on the one hand, we're going to have a lot of uh, re-applicants who last year applied during the very competitive year last year who might have otherwise gotten in, but who didn't get in. <laughs> and so now they're reapplying this year. So I think it also shifted forward uh, in terms of pipeline. I think it might have also in some ways shifted forward very competitive candidates to this season. Uh, but I think this year will be equal to or maybe even lower volumes than last year, because with the, with the world kind of, well, at least we, we were hoping a few months ago that the world would be back to normal now. In some parts of the world, it's not going back to normal as quickly as, it, as one would hope. But in general, you know, I think that this this downturn was not one that was due to the, you know, some sort of systemic weakness in the overall economy. It was sort of this external shock event that does have a there is a way out if enough people were to comply with it. And so I think that that's why the recovery in the economy has been so much faster. Uh, and so I think the the impact on business schools will also be faster. I, I think it'll I think it's going to level out relatively quickly. Yeah. You know, when you look at the schools that have already announced their number, you know, it is a mixed bag. You know, Wharton was up two and a half, Harvard up 5% in applications, Kellogg down 20%, Columbia was down a little bit, not a lot. You had increases at Yale, Duke, Cornell, and Anderson. Yale, Duke, and Cornell, they were on the order of 12%. You pretty much had across the board increases in GMAT and class average. But in many cases, that was because the GMAT scores had plummeted the year before uh, when the pandemic hit hardest and, and the market was flooded with a lot of applicants and probably applicants uh, that were having trouble getting uh, a good test result when the switch was to the online test. So, you know, you get Wharton, uh, they're up 11 points on their class average for the GMAT score. You look at uh, Duke, they're up 11 points, uh, UVA Darden up 12, Cornell up 10, UCLA up 8, uh, Yale up 6, and um, Dartmouth 4. Uh, they stayed the same at Kellogg, which saw that 20% uh, plunge in applications because it had such a massive increase the year before. Uh, and the median at Harvard uh, remained the same. So I think you're right. I, I, you know, I think while it's still fairly competitive, I don't think we're going to see a bloodbath. Someone out there was asking, uh, I think, a legitimate question about whether or not there'd be an admissions bloodbath in this season would be incredibly competitive. And I wonder, too, you know, what kind of activity the two of you are seeing Murray on applicant lab for round one deadlines and Caroline for your consulting firm uh, for people preparing for round one. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the volumes are are up a little. I think the biggest change, though, is less in volume and more in how 
early people decided to start to get ready. I think the rumors of last year's challenging environment trickled through. And so I think a lot of people decided to get started much earlier than they might otherwise. And I think that there's a little bit more anxiety and uncertainty uh, in the applicant pool just because of the, the variability of the past year or two. Yeah, that makes sense. And Caroline, are you seeing uh, stabilization of uh, the growth you saw the previous year for the for round one? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing similar volume. So I think it's going to be strong, oh. but I don't think it'll be up versus last year. Right. Um, and I agree with Maria. We saw a lot of people signing up very early. Uh, it seems to get earlier every year. But uh, and, and that's a good thing, right? I think it's good to start earlier rather than later. But definitely, you know, a lot of people getting serious about their applications in the spring this year. And, and uh, Caroline, do you think, uh, as Maria does, that we're going to see a surge of reapplicants in this uh, new round? Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, that, that's somewhat inevitable after a very competitive and a bit of a crazy season and, and the disruption of last year, that there will be people who didn't get into a school of their choice last year and, and, and therefore, you know, are reapplying now. So that does... Yeah, you know, that can raise the level of competition overall because often they are very well-prepared candidates, right? They've been through the cycle once. Um, they've learned from that process. They've probably, you know, hopefully reflected on why they didn't get in the first time round and, and hopefully they're coming back with, you know, a better application next time round. So they can often be incredibly strong applicants. And of course, you know, the school does does take the schools do take them seriously because they understand that if you're reapplying you know you're you're serious about this you're really motivated you really want to go to that school if you're coming back a second time sometimes people even apply more than two times right so so the schools do credit those applicants for their commitment and motivation and and you know that can give them some additional credibility uh, and therefore you know create create strong competition for the fresh batch of applicants yep now, n- neither of you think there was a so-called bloodbath in the 2020-2021 admission cycle, right? It wasn't, no. I mean, it was a, It was definitely a, a very competitive year. But, you know, great candidates were still getting into great schools, right? So I think the, co- the level of competition was a bit higher than usual, but I don't think it was sort of, you know, completely e- extreme. And Maria, you take that same position, right? Yeah, I wouldn't call it a bloodbath, but I I did see some people who I think in prior years with less with fewer applicants and a little bit less competition, I think in prior years they might have gotten into schools that perhaps they didn't get into last year. So then they were stuck with the difficult choice of do I take the bird in the hand or do I turn down that one school and then reapply next year to my dream school. And with nobody really knowing what's going to happen, it was it's hard to advise them on what to do. Yeah, exactly. What did you find that they did? Did they did they uh, hold off or did they decide just to go? I think most people decided to go. I well, I personally, you know, there is just so much variability in a regular year, yes. uh, much less in a year. Like so, I I tend to say, you know, take the bird in the hand. You know, there are so many amazing schools. You're going to get similar, if not identical, opportunities at most top schools, et cetera, et cetera. And also with the return to in person learning which, you know, has happened this year, I, I think that a lot of the, the doubts from previous years are no, are no longer, you know, you might as well just go, you're going to have a great time, you're going to get a great education, and you're going to have a great outcome, pretty much regardless of where you go, because at the end of the day, it's the person that makes the career, not the school. And so if you, if you hustle and, you know, 
if you hustle and network and prepare for certain types of interviews, you're going to get certain types of jobs, regardless of if you're at a fancier school or not. That's my opinion. So I think a lot of them took it, but I also was like, I don't know. You don't know what's going to happen next year. Just grab it. (laughs) (laughs) Seize the day. That's right. Uh, Exactly. Car pay acceptance. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Um, Law school versus business school. I think that for for some people, this is actually a consideration, even a debate. And we know, you know, law school had been on the wane for a number of years, even much more than business schools before the pandemic increase. And in many cases, this past year, we've seen historic rises at uh, the elite law schools in application volume. Uh, But they're climbing out of a big hole, recovering from a much deeper and sustained dip than B-schools. But what was interesting to me is, is seeing that Harvard Law School was up a third in applications this past year, nearly 10,000, while the Harvard Business School was up a mere 5%. And Harvard Law School drew more applicants for fewer positions than the business school. And in fact, cut its admit rate nearly in half from 12.9% to 69 when the Harvard Business School admit rate is around 9%. I'm wondering, Maria, when you were on campus, could you tell the law school students from the MBA students? I couldn't, but I don't know that there was a whole lot of cross-registration. I mean, I did take a law, a business law class my second year, which was the hardest, most intensive class, I think, one of the hardest classes offered at the school. And so I wouldn't have had any law school students enrolled in that because why? And so I didn't really, I don't, I don't know that I had a lot of cross registrants in general in most of my classes, but that could have just been because of the classes I took. So no, I couldn't, if there were any, I couldn't tell. Yeah. But I do think, I do think that I did. Well, there were a few where it was just the case method is just such a unique style of managing a classroom and discussing a topic that I do think that some of them, you could sort of tell maybe sometimes that they weren't quite sure what to do and they would raise their hand and then talk for 20 minutes. And you're like, no, that's no, stop. (laughs) So, but, you know, aside from that, you really couldn't tell. And there was a general belief, though, that as uh, law school applications were really in the tank for quite a few years, I mean, they really dramatically dropped. I mean, many schools reduced their enrollments. There were some law schools that went out of business. There was a sense that had become more of the all-purpose degree and that many people who would have gone to law school in past years decided to go to business school instead. And I think there's a certain number of people who actually think about you know, either one. And, and I wonder, you know, Caroline, what, what advice you might have for people who uh, they know they want a graduate degree, they know they, they know they want a professional degree, and they're, and they're deciding between a law school degree and a business school degree. What, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I'm a little bit biased. I mean, I looked at um, becoming a lawyer at one stage and, and um, did some internships and found it, rather, frankly, rather dull. So I would, <laughs> I personally have a preference for, um, for the, you know, the curriculum that you get at business school rather than law school. I find it much more interesting and much broader. Order. But, you know, having said that, you know, law school is also a great foundation. It's a well-trodden path as well, especially in the US. Um, it can open a lot of doors. Um, if you get into a, a great school, you know, that's a, a fabulous credential to have. I, I think that some of this may be driven by people coming out of um, undergraduate and looking to get their postgraduate degree straight away, right? Because they're going straight into law school, whereas um, with business school, 
in you know vast majority of cases you need to go off and get at least two or three years of work experience first and I think there is a trend of um, students coming out of undergrad and wanting to continue their education and secure their master's degree straight away we're certainly seeing that in Europe um, with the growth of master's degrees and people going straight into master's from undergrad in much larger volumes than had been the case in the past so I think that law school is benefiting from that that they're getting you know great applicants um, you know wonderful undergrads who just want to get on with their education and 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 yes and get their graduate degree straight away and don't want to have to wait another few years and, and also face the uncertainty of, you know, whether they will get into business school at later dates. You know, they apply to law school to get into a great school, then they're, they're, then they're gone, right? They're, they're off the business school market um, earlier. And that's also why the business schools launched the, the two plus two type of program to compete with that and to, to try to secure some of those great students um, who would be considering going straight to graduate school um, uh, after their undergrad. Um, so, you know, giving them that option to secure their place at business school at the same time, um, at an earlier stage, um, you know, at the same time that they would be securing a place at law school. Um, I have to say, you know, uh, you know, looking at the Harvard Law School class profile that was just published, it's pretty darn impressive. I mean, the class GPA is 3.92 versus the Harvard Business School GPA of 3.69. LSAT scores were at a historic high of 174, where we know the GMAT scores at Harvard remain the same. There are 19 Fulbright scholars in the law school class, just remarkably mm. impressive group of people. And of course they enroll a smaller class than uh, the business school little over 500 students compared to the more than 1,000 that were enrolled, which is the largest class ever in, in the history of the Harvard Business School this year. Mm -hmm. But do you think law school students are naturally smarter than business school students? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, they're obviously fantastic academic credentials, right? I think it's, you know, that th th those are those are amazing statistics that you just reeled off about the you know the qualifications of the class but i don't think that you know there's necessarily any any huge difference between someone who goes to business school versus someone who goes to law school but perhaps the emphasis at that stage on admission at admission is a little bit more on academics right because when you're being in yes. business school there's much more weight on uh, to on the work experience so um that that is a huge part of why people get in and ac fantastic academic credentials are not going to get you uh, alone are not going to get you into business school very um, true so and, more, and obviously more women uh 54 of the harvard law school class is female compared to 46 percent mm. at the business school mm. 56 percent of the law school class incoming identify as people of color just uh, far in excess of the rough, roughly 27% of Harvard Business School. Very different kind of people are uh, definitely attracted uh, to law, even though they may never see the inside of a courtroom. Let's face that, right? I mean, how many people from law school really are, become lawyers and stay lawyers? Precious few, I think. Now, Maria, you also at one point considered law uh, with business. Uh, what made the difference for you in choosing the MBA? Well, I think to the point that you just made, a few people have seen the inside of a courtroom. I spent a summer, I thought I was going to do public interest law. 
And so after my freshman year of college, I spent a summer working for a domestic violence legal clinic where I was helping women file for uh, protective orders. And I was going with them into the courtroom. And it was just the, the study of the law, I think studying the law and seeing like, okay, what, what are these women, like, well, how does the law work? And, and what do you have to do to get something called an ex parte order? And how does that work? But then the practice of it was so repetitive. I mean, it was, you know, it was just the same thing over and over again. And then the reality was that, you know, the police officers wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. And, you know, I, I just, it was very discouraging. And so I, I enjoy studying law from an academic perspective and think it's sort of a, a bunch of logic puzzles for me. But then the actual practice of it, I think, is a lot of arguing and yelling and putting a semicolon instead of a comma in a certain, you know, and making sure that all the terms are defined and like Appendix C, where there's like, you know, by, by, you know, constituent, we mean blah, 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 blah. And by revenue, we mean blah, blah. And it's just like, oh my God. So that was, that was sort of off-putting. I realized that it was not as, it was just sort of every day was the same, was very similar. Uh, and I, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm surprised to see that I, I think Caroline's onto something that I think there's just been so much uncertainty in the past year and a half that I think a lot of people maybe graduating from college just want some certainty of, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen with the pandemic. Let me just go straight to grad school. Um, I do know that law school admissions are almost entirely based upon, I believe there's actually a formula, at least in the past when I looked into it, it's actually like they literally take your GPA and your LSAT score and run it through a formula. And that essentially tells you if you're getting in or not. It has very little to do with, uh, you know, your personal qualities, which I think would explain why there are so many sociopaths in Congress who went to law school, but, you know, I'm like, oh, hey, it checks out, you know, so, so I think, you know, I think it, it, it's not that the law school applicants are smarter. I think it's just that the sort of, if you are pre-law, they basically tell you major in whatever the easiest thing is. So that way you maximize your GPA and just study super hard for that LSAT because not a whole lot else uh, yeah. matters. But I'm surprised, I'm surprised to see it because I feel like law, not only is the practice of law, I feel uh, not as exciting, but I also feel like it's very geographically limiting, right? Like if I want to move to Spain and if I studied law, it would be, I would have to have a very, very niche practice. <laughs> you know, you have to pass the bar exam in different states. And true. You know, I mean, so you can move from one state to another without uh, having to go through an exam to get on uh, to the bar, right? Well, exactly. And so, and it's not like an easy exam. <laughs> it's not like a walk in the park exam. So I, I, uh, yeah, and I would. I think maybe Caroline's. If I had to say why, I would. I would go with Caroline's hypothesis that it's just people want certainty, and so let's let's just let's just park ourselves in law school for three years and see figure out our lives at that point. <laughs> That's an expensive yeah. place to park. I have to say. <laughs> Very expensive. That, yeah. I mean, people complain about the cost of business school and an MBA over a two or even a one year period. Imagine three years in law school. And yes, if you do hit the jackpot out of law school, particularly out of an elite school, uh, you know, your starting salary is 200000 But nonetheless, uh, you know, if you're smart enough and you get into a, a great consulting job or a finance job, you're close to 200 or over 200 anyway with an MBA at two years. Yeah. And there's a lot more scholarship money at business schools than there is at law school by far. So obviously we're all big advocates. Yeah. <laughs> and let's just put that out there, okay? Uh, besides, there's I, no conflict of interest. There's no conflict no, of interest. Besides, I hate lawyers. <laughs> we're totally objective. Uh, uh, does anybody love a lawyer? Come on. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, it's Aww, the joke in the world. Oh. <laughs> what is it? Love the what, hate the, hate the sin, love the sinner. <laughs> lawyers are wonderful people, even if their jobs are not. Oh, okay, you must have some good friends <laughs> who are lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> All right, but there you have it. You know, Harvard Law actually more competitive than Harvard Business School this past year, drawing more applicants with higher GPAs. And uh, lower admit rates, which is a surprise. It's the first time in many years that that has occurred, given the slump in law school applications uh, that was deep and far-reaching for quite a few years. And then, you know, this this coming competitive season for admissions, it will be uh, as competitive as last year, given the increase in reapplicants and, and given what uh, the early signs are. But we don't expect it to be any more competitive. And we see a stabilization in the market coming for this next next admission season, which is right around the corner. All right, Maria, Caroline, thank you, as always, for your smart and thoughtful remarks. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. You've been listening to Business Casual. <laughs>